warmly welcome our moderator for the evening, Chris Arnzen. Thank you very much, Anthony. Uh, Pastor Josh Fryman just reminded me also, please folks, this is a, a debate and it could be tension in the air, so please no heckling or throwing objects, no throwing of chairs or food. <laughs> and this warning also includes the atheists, so please. Uh. <laughs> First, I'm gonna introduce our uh, participants. Defending the position that science better explains morality is Dr. Michael Shermer, who is the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine, a monthly columnist for Scientific American, a regular contributor to Time.com, and a presidential fellow at Chapman University. His new book is The Moral Arc, How Science and Reason Lead Humanity <laughs> Towards Truth, Justice, and Freedom. He is also the author of The Believing Brain, From Ghosts and Gods to Politics and Conspiracies, How We Construct Beliefs and Reinforce Them as Truths, The Mind of the Market on Evolutionary Economics, Why Darwin Matters, Evolution in the Case Against Intelligent Design, and The Science of Good and Evil. He has been a college professor since 1979, also teaching at Occidental College, Glendale College, and Claremont Graduate University, where he taught a transdisciplinary course for PhD students on evolution, economics, and the brain. As a public intellectual, he regularly contributes opinion editorials, book reviews, and essays to the Wall Street Journal, Journal the Los Angeles Times, Science, Nature, and other publications. Dr. Shermer received his BA in psychology from Pepperdine University, MA in experimental psychology from California State University, Fullerton, and his PhD in the history of science from Claremont Graduate University. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Michael Shermer. Defending the position that God better explains morality is Dr. Frank Turek. He is a former aviator in the U.S. Navy. Frank has a master's degree from George Washington University and a doctorate from Southern Evangelical Seminary. He and his wife, Stephanie, are blessed with three grown sons. Frank is a dynamic speaker and an award-winning author or co-author of four books, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, Correct, Not Politically Correct, and Legislating Morality. As the president of crossexamine.org, Frank presents powerful and entertaining evidence for Christian theism at churches, high schools, and at secular college campuses. He has also debated several prominent atheists, including Christopher Hitchens and David Silverman, president of American Atheists. Frank hosts an hour-long TV program each week called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist that is broadcast Wednesday nights on DirecTV channel 378. His radio program called Cross Examine with Frank Turk airs on 122 stations every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern and is available continually on the free Cross Examine application. Frank is widely featured guest, is a widely featured guest in the media as a leading apologist expert and cultural commentator. He has appeared on hundreds of radio programs and many top TV programs, including The O'Reilly Factor, Hannity and Combs, Faith Under Fire, and Politically Incorrect. 
He also writes a column for townhall.com, and here he is, Dr. Frank Turk. The premise of this debate is, what better explains morality, God or science? Each of our participants has a 20-minute opening statement, and then they will have 15-minute cross-examinations each. They will also have, we will also have 45 minutes of question and answers from the audience. Obviously, the audience will be asking the questions, and the debaters will be answering the questions. And then there will be 10-minute closing statements. The, uh, during the Q&A, the presenter being addressed will have two, minute to, two minutes to answer, and the other presenter will have one minute to rebut their answer. We will form two lines, one to address Dr. Shermer, and one to address Dr. Turek, and alternate between them. You will have 30 seconds to frame one question. <laughs> this is not a dialogue or another debate, and there is no follow-up question. Please be clear and to the point so we can get everyone's questions. No sermons, no filibustering, and you will receive a mild electric shock if you go over the 30 seconds. It's not strong enough to kill, but it should shut you up. And now we will begin with our first presenter, Dr. Frank Turk. Good evening, Stony Brook. Good evening. Before we get into the formal part of the presentation, I do need to thank some folks because without Nick and Anthony, this wouldn't be happening. So you need to thank them. You also have to thank Dr. Brisbane because Dr. Brisbane, according to Nick and Anthony, has been an absolute godsend getting this room and getting this set right here. So thank you, Dr. Brisbane. Chris has been in New York his entire life until two years ago. He went away, now he's coming back, and that new radio show is going to be dynamic, so get ready for that. And of course, Dr. Michael Shermer is a gentleman. He's going to be the nicest person I've ever debated. You're going to like Dr. Shermer, all right? He is. He is really a gentleman. So, um, and he came all the way from the left coast, and he just, he landed, get this, he landed at JFK at 3.30. You would think a guy from L.A. would know about traffic, but he had to go 120 to get here. Thankfully, we knew all the state troopers, right? So here he is, Dr. Shermer. Now, it's encouraging to me that there's so many people here to, to talk about a big issue. This is a huge issue. There is hope for America when so many people will turn out to address this issue. Now, there's no way that myself or Dr. Shermer can get through all this material. He's written 500-page books. I've written books about that length. Actually, there's, there probably is a way I can get through it because I'm originally from New Jersey, okay? If you can't keep up, we have some books available. And uh, my two books that I'll be drawing from are I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist and Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. And I'm going to be honest, this book, The Moral Arc, is a very good book. In fact, it changed my idea or it changed my position on two uh, particular 
subjects just reading it. Now, obviously, I don't agree with everything Michael has written. In fact, I don't even agree with everything I've written, okay? But, uh, but it is a good book, and it is worth your time to get those three books. And I don't know about Michael's book, but the good thing about my book, or my books, is that all the proceeds in the sale of my books will go to feed needy children. Mine. Okay? Just so you know, I got three sons, so I need some help. In fact, uh, I was in the Navy, as uh, Anthony mentioned, which, by the way, stands for never again volunteer yourself. And uh, my sons were interested in the military, and after they knew what I did in the Navy, they went Air Force. So I've got two sons in the Air Force. One of them is here tonight. He just got back four days ago from a year in the Middle East. Say hello to Captain Zachary Turek. Where are you, Zach? There he is, right back there. All right, now before we get started here, one other thing. I'm going to be moving very quickly through this presentation. I know Dr. Shermer will go through his quickly as well. If you want this presentation in a PDF format, uh, later on, type in this in your browser, crossexamine.org forward slash New York, and we will email it to you because I'm going to, I'm going to scream through this thing because we have limited time. Are we ready to go, Chris? All right, here we go. Is morality better explained by God or science? In order to do this, I think we need to define some terms. So let's define what we mean by objective morality, God, and science. By objective morality, I mean right or good values that are true and binding regardless of human opinion. These values are like gravity. You may disagree with gravity, but it's still there. In fact, what I mean by an objective value, let's suppose that the Nazis had won World War II and brainwashed everybody to believe that murdering Jews was right. It would still be wrong. That's what I mean by independent of human opinion. What I mean by God is the infinite, eternal, and morally perfect being, the greatest good who is the source and sustainer of everything that exists. I'm not talking about the flying spaghetti monster. I'm not talking about Zeus or Thor. I'm talking about this, a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligence sustaining cause. What I mean by science is a method of inquiry normally using experiments and observations to discover cause and effect relationships. I say normally. Sometimes you can't run an experiment, like for a murder or an historical event. You can't run any experiment at all. You just have to look at the clues and draw an inference to the best explanation. Now, what are we debating? The central question, in my view, is not, is the Bible true? It is not, do Christians or atheists behave better? Although that's an interesting question. It is not, where do our moral feelings come from? And it is not how do we know objective moral values. I mean, Michael may want to talk about that. That's fine. But I don't think that's the central question of this debate. I think the central question of this debate is why do objective moral values exist in the first place, regardless of how we know them or who obeys them better? And we only have two choices. The two choices are this. They either come from mind or matter. Mind or matter. I mean, God or matter. Now, obviously, I'm taking the position that it's mind. And Michael's going to take the position that it's matter because he's a materialist. He thinks all that exists are materials. Here is my thesis. It's kind of a Dr. Seuss thing. Rules come from whose, not its. Rules come from whose, not its. And this is the who, I think, who is behind objective moral values. In order to illustrate this, let's talk about baseball. The season just started, right? 
When you ask the question, who makes the rules of baseball, you've got to figure out, well, who, who could make rules for baseball? Well, I think rules of baseball require a map. First of all, they require a moral or fair standard that transcends player opinion. In other words, each player can't have his own rules. There has to be one set of rules that everybody adheres to. Secondly, there has to be an authoritative person who transcends the players to communicate and enforce the rules. And then finally, there has to be a purpose or objective to the game that transcends player opinion. Obviously, the objective is to score more runs than the opponent. But if there's a player who thinks hitting more foul balls is the objective, he's just objectively wrong. Now, science can help you play the game better if you can figure out the laws of physics and how to throw and hit better using science that can help you play the game better but science can't make up the rules to the game you need a person for that who is the person no that's not David Letterman that's not the white Michael Strahan that is the new that is the new commissioner of baseball and you don't even need to know his name to know that it has to be a who who makes rules his name I think happens to be Rob Manfred he just took over for Bud Selig last year. So he is the new commissioner of baseball. Now, the question now is who makes the rules of life? I mean, baseball is an arbitrary game, but life isn't arbitrary. Who makes the objective rules of life? I think they also require a map. They require a moral standard that transcends human opinion. They require an authoritative person who transcends humans to communicate and enforce the rules, and also a purpose or objective of life that transcends human opinion. Now let's go through one of the, each one of these, and I obviously think that's God, by the way, who is the person behind the rules of life, the objective rules of life. Let's go through each one of these in order. Let's talk about a moral standard that transcends human opinion. If there is no God, if there is no standard beyond humanity, then everything's a matter of opinion. And I, in other words, if there is no God, what Hitler did is just a matter of opinion. It's just your opinion against Hitler's opinion, opinion because if there is no standard, beyond humanity. It's just one person's opinion against another person's opinion. Now, Michael agrees that there are objective moral values. Of course, he would agree that torturing babies for fun is morally wrong, or murdering people is morally wrong. If there is no God, I don't see how that can be objectively morally wrong. In fact, let me ask a question. How can you discover who was morally better? Mother Teresa, the Catholic nun who served the poor till the day she died in the streets of Calcutta, or the murderous tyrant Hitler? Well, let me ask the question this way. How do you know which map is better? Which map of Scotland is better? Is it map A or map B? What would you need to see in order to know which map was better? You would need to see a real unchanging place called Scotland. If Scotland doesn't exist, then these two maps are meaningless. But since Scotland does exist, we can see that map A, while it's not perfect, is a better representation of the real Scotland than is map B. In other words, Scotland is the external standard or the external referent by which we measure these two maps. Well, that's exactly what we do when we compare Mother Teresa and Hitler. Mother Teresa wasn't the standard. Hitler wasn't the standard. There's a standard beyond both of them by which we measure both of them and God's nature is the standard of morality. He doesn't look up at another standard. He doesn't arbitrarily make things up. He is the standard. The buck has to stop somewhere, and it stops with God's nature. Now, C.S. Lewis, 
said things uh, very well, and here's what he said about this idea. He said, the moment you say that one set of moral ideas can be better than another, you are in fact measuring them both by a standard, saying that one of them conforms to that standard more nearly than the other, but the standard that measures two things is something different from the other. So that's the M. The A is the authoritative person who transcends humans to communicate and enforce the rules. Let's suppose we were to come in here. You came in here today and you couldn't get dinner, so you brought some Chinese food with you. And you sat down to have the Chinese food right here in, the in, the, in one of these rows here. And you open up your fortune cookie and it says, time to get out and seek new opportunities. You'd go, hey, man, that is a, that's a nice little fortune there. But you wouldn't feel compelled to get up right now, leave the building, and go seek new opportunities, right? You'd go, that's a nice fortune, but a fortune cookie's kind of random. I don't need to leave right now. It's just a fortune cookie. But if this guy walked in and said, hey, get out of the building, right? Or better yet, if this guy came in and said, get out. Get in the chopper. We'd all get out and get in the chopper, right? Actually, this guy is a better example, right? He, and if we get any more full, he actually is going to come in here and say, get out of the building. This guy has authority, and laws require a lawgiver. A lawgiver is a person with authority. Rules come from whose? They don't come from its. Now, obviously, if there is no God, evolution can't tell you what to do. I mean, how does a uh, mutating genetic code have the authority to tell you how to behave. It doesn't have the, any authority. Evolution just describes what happens. It doesn't tell you what ought to happen. Let's now talk about the purpose or objective of life. There can't be objective rules if there is no objective purpose. And you can't have morality unless you have purpose. And Dr. Shermer actually agrees with this. He said more morality and purpose are inextricably interdigitated in other words, interlocked, you cannot have one without the other. He's absolutely right about that. But here's the problem for Dr. Shermer. Dr. Shermer is a materialist. He said this in a debate with the New Ager Deepak Chopra. He said, I explained that I am a materialist and a monist. I do not believe that there is a body and a soul. There is just a body. There is no brain and mind, just brain. Well, here's the problem. You can't have morality and purpose if materialism is true. If evolutionary materialism is true, there is no morality or purpose. And this was said very well. I don't normally quote Richard Dawkins, but I'm quoting him right now, a very prominent atheist, as you know. He put it this way. He said, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. There is, at the bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to, his music, to its music. Dawkins, if his worldview is right, is absolutely correct about this. He's a great writer. He's saying the truth that if we're just molecules in motion, we're just dancing to our DNA. In fact, to Dawkins' credit, although he is an ardent evolutionist, he said, I don't want Darwinian principles on morality. He said, I've always said that I, that I am a passionate anti-Darwinian when it comes to the way we should organize our lives and our morality. We want to avoid basing our society on Darwinian principles. Exactly. Now, to be, to be totally clear here, evolution is descriptive. It is not prescriptive. But if people want to take the prescriptive nature of survival of the fittest, what do you get? You get what Hitler brought us. 
you get the idea that we have transgressed the law of natural selection. This was in a Nazi propaganda video. I'm going to show you a short clip of it. In the beginning of this video, you're going to see a Jewish man explaining what Hitler did, and then you're going to see a piece of this propaganda video, and they're going to say, we've transgressed the law of natural selection. Here we go. We'll need sound for this. Jamila. Now, I'm actually Jewish ethnically, and of course, my people were almost wiped out in Europe. Six million of us were butchered by this evolutionary philosophy. And handicapped people were thought of as being less than human. Um, Hitler's own propaganda films said, we have sinned grievously against the law of natural selection by allowing the handicapped people to live. Menschen haben gegen dieses Gesetz der natürlichen Auslese in den letzten Jahrzehnten furchtbar gesündigt. Wir haben unwertes Leben nicht nur erhalten, wir haben ihm auch Vermehrung gewährt. Die Nachkommen dieser Kranken sahen so aus, in denen tausende lallende Schwachsinnige künstlich ernährt und gepflegt werden müssen, die tiefer stehen als jedes Tier. So Hitler replaced the Judeo-Christian ethic of sanctity of innocent life made in God's image with an evolutionary ethic uh, that whatever's good for the evolution of the master race is good for society. We only have two choices, ladies and gentlemen. There's only two possibilities. Either we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, as our founders said, or we are not. It's one of the two. Now, these two authors put it this way. We are either images of God or clever, murderous monkeys fighting for control over the banana supply. There is no middle ground. Now, you say, okay, that's my case for God. Let's talk about science for a minute and the difference between God and science. God prescribes behavior. Science describes behavior. God tells us what should happen. Science tells us what does happen. God is the ground of morality, whereas science uses morality. God is the source of morality, whereas science can't work without morality. In fact, let me take you back to the O.J. Simpson trial to make a point here. Can you believe the O.J. Simpson trial was 20 years ago? Think about that. Now, I'm just going to present some evidence at the trial and then ask you a question. Here's some evidence from the O.J. Simpson trial. Uh, O.J. Simpson's blood was at the scene of the crime. There's only a 1 in 170 million chance it's not O.J.'s. Secondly, Goldman, Brown, and Simpson's blood were in Simpson's Bronco. In other words, the two victims and Simpson's blood were in his white Bronco that went on the low street chase through L.A. Thirdly, the glove at the scene had blood from all three and matched the glove at Simpson's house. You remember when Johnny Cochran said, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit? You know why the glove didn't fit? Because it was soaked in blood. It had shriveled up. Fourthly, the bloody footprints were from a rare brand of size 12 shoes that Simpson owned. There were only 199 of these pairs of shoes sold in the U.S., and Simpson had one of them. And fifthly, Brown's blood was on Simpson's socks. There's only a 1 in 21 billion chance it's not hers. In other words, Nicole Brown Simpson was probably the only person in the history of the world that had that blood. Now, question, does science show O.J. was guilty? How many say yes? How many say no? How many don't want to answer? <laughs> the answer is no. Why? Not because I necessarily think O.J. was innocent, but because science doesn't say anything scientists do. You see, all data needs to be interpreted. All science does is it gives you the data. 
You then have to make two decisions. You have to decide whether it's good data. Was there any shenanigans going on here? And then secondly, was something like does one in 21 billion point more toward guilt or innocence? Now to amplify this point, let's look at a survey that was done 10 years after the murders by NBC News. They asked, did you think OJ was guilty or not? 77% said he was guilty, but there was an ethnic divide. While 87% of whites said he was guilty, only 29% of blacks said he was guilty. Now why do you have two different groups of people looking at the same evidence coming to two different conclusions? It depends on the mindset of the person. Science doesn't say anything scientists do. And so when blacks looked at the evidence, they understandably thought perhaps this case was racially motivated. Why? Because they had been victims of racism themselves and they'd seen this kind of thing. Whereas whites hadn't seen it. So they thought that he was likely guilty. In other words, Blacks didn't believe that the, the, the science because they believe that the scientists or the LAPD were actually immoral, that they fudged the data to set OJ up. You see, science requires scientists to be moral. Science can't give you morality. You need morality to do science. In fact, if science is the standard of morality, which, science, which scientist decide, decides what's right? Albert Einstein or Joseph Mengele, both German scientists. As you know, Albert Einstein, a very moral man. Joseph Mengele did experiments in Nazi death camps on children. He killed thousands of people. So which scientist was more moral? Science can't tell you. You have to bring morality to science. Science can discover if things harm, but not why it's wrong to harm. Science can tell you if you put somebody in a gas chamber, they'll die, but it can't tell you should you put somebody in a gas chamber. In fact, which scientist was more moral? Science can't tell you. You have to import a moral standard in order to do science. You can't get morality from a test tube. Science presupposes and uses morality. This is why Einstein said, you are right in speaking of the moral foundations of science, but you cannot turn around and speak of the scientific foundations of morality. Every attempt to reduce ethics to scientific formula must fail. Dr. Shermer's gonna try and do that. Einstein says no. We'll see, maybe Dr. Shermer has a better way. In fact, it's worse than that, because morality and science are impossible without the free will to choose, the ability to reason, and the fact that we have a mind beyond a brain. Dr. Shermer says we don't have a mind beyond a brain. He says the mind is just what the brain does. It's the same as the brain. Well, how can you have morality or science or even do science if you don't have a real mind? Here's why. Atheism cannot explain these things. They can't exp atheism can't explain reason or free will or even science, but theism can. If atheism is true, our minds are just molecular machines. We are just moist robots dancing to our DNA, which means we don't have free will, which means we don't reason, we merely react, which means, therefore, we shouldn't trust any of our thoughts, including the thought that atheism is true. Reason, morality, and science would be impossible if atheistic materialism were true. If we're just molecular machines, then... I'm almost there. <laughs> if we're just molecular machines, then there's no way that we could have reason, morality, or science. But since we can do those things, that's actually evidence that God exists. And what atheists are doing is they're stealing from God to make their case. And this is what I point out in the book. So to sum it all up, if baseball requires a who for rules, then so does life. 
And I think a mind, i.e. God's mind, is the source. Rules come from whose, not its. Even Cindy Lou Who, who was no more than two, knew that. Now we have a 20-minute opening statement from Dr. Michael Shermer. unmute myself here. Good evening. How we doing? Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, uh, Jason, for driving me here at 130 miles an hour on the <laughs> shoulder of the road in this $150,000 Mercedes. Oh, man. <laughs> I thought I was in California again. I almost, actually, have to confess, almost became a praying man on the drive here. <laughs> but instead... <laughs> I put my confidence in the engineers at Mercedes and the driving skills of, of Jason here. Uh, I thought I'd start off tonight with a, a question. Uh, if you found out tonight that there is no God, what would you do? Or as somebody might have said, who would you do? <laughs> that is, would you lose your morality? Would you? Would you give it up? Would you lose your sense of right and wrong? Would you just be adrift without a rudder? Would you turn to a life of crime and sin? If your answer is, no, of course not. I would still love my family, I would respect my friends, I would honor my word and my commitments, and I would obey the law, then you've just assented my, to my position that you don't need God to be good. If your answer is, yes, Without God, I would hate my family, cheat on my friends, dishonor my word, and disobey the law. Then you just revealed something deeply disturbing about your moral character. In other words, if you lack morals, it's because you lack empathy and character, not God and religion. So let's ask ourselves, what makes something right or wrong? Now, Dr. Turek has just presented the position that's roughly called the divine command theory, or what I call the ask God principle. Uh, and the problem is, is that if God does not decree something immoral, does that make it moral? The seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. If God had not included that in the Ten Commandments, would that make adultery moral or acceptable? If you're not sure about this, ask your partner. <laughs> They'll let you know. It's the first part of my answer. Thou shalt not rape is not even in the Bible. In fact, quite the contrary. Yahweh orders his warlords to rape all they want. That's one of the benefits of being a warlord if you win. This is in the Old Testament in many places. In any case... How are we to know God's moral commands? Well, well, we have a book. Well, if you read the book as a moral guidebook, does that mean we should condemn gay marriage and condone slavery? That's what it says we're supposed to do. I doubt anybody here would uh, condone slavery, although I suspect a good number of you are still against gay marriage. But you won't be for long. Within five to ten years, you will all be in favor 
of same-sex marriage. And you all say, you know, I got that from my religion. You know, God loves everybody and so on. But you're not saying that now. This is an example, contrary to Dr. Turek's, that in fact we do change our moral values over time. We shift them according to the changing moral zeitgeist. For example, is female genital mutilation wrong? Is this the best we can do? Yes, but only in Western cultures. We must respect other cultural traditions and not judge them. That's sort of the typical liberal or left response. The right response, perhaps, is yes, it's wrong, but it's hard to say why because it's also not in the Bible. And by the way, if you're not getting your moral values from the Bible, then, then where are you getting them? I mean, do you, do you talk to God? Do you pray? Do you listen to a small voice within? Does he speak to you? Does he give you some sign? What reliable method do you have for determining moral values, right and wrong, of various issues, stem cell research, euthanasia? Where in the Bible are these things discussed? Back to this problem. Can we say that female genital mutilation is objectively wrong? Yes, we can. Why? Just ask the individual being mutilated and you'll get your answer. If they can't speak, their screams will give you their answer. Is it absolutely, objectively wrong to deface a woman for any reason? Yes, it is. Why? Just ask the individual woman being defaced and you'll get your answer. So I call this the ask first principle. To find out whether an action is right or wrong, ask first. Who do you ask? The individual moral agent being acted upon. Why the individual? The individual is the primary moral agent because the individual organism is the principal target of natural selection and social evolution. So here's how we build and construct an objective moral system from the bottom up with selfish genes, with evolution, with natural selection. The first moral principle is to help yourself and your kin and your kind. Technically speaking, this is called kin selection. Uh, and from there, of course, you're going to be nice to your kin and kind your immediate family, your parents, your children, your grandparents, your grandchildren, and so forth. The second moral principle is I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. This is called reciprocal altruism. So even if I'm not genetically related to you, it pays for me to be nice to you because when times are tough for me, it would be nice if you were nice to me. And we do this. We evolve this capacity to have moral emotions, to care about other people to have empathy, to have sympathy, to bond with our fellow social primates. It's what we do. So the survival and flourishing of individual sentient beings is a basis for establishing objective morals. This is where I begin it in the moral arc. And so determining the conditions by which humans best flourish ought to be the goal of a science of morality. Okay, my point is we've, in my book is that we've already been doing this for centuries. We've been devising experiments, social experiments, on how best we should live. Democracy is one of these uh, social tools invented to figure out a way better than all the other ways before. Theocracies, autocracies, dictatorships, and so on lead to the uh, loss of, of freedom and liberty, survival and flourishing. 
So in other words, female genital mutilation is morally, objectively wrong because it permanently robs individuals of their evolved sexual nature. That's part of their survival and flourishing. So morality is transcendent and objective in the sense of not being just a trait of individual humans, not just being you. It's a trait of the human species. It's what you get by being born human. It comes with the package. It's what our founding fathers meant when they said we have certain inalienable rights. Now, they were deists when they said by the creator, they meant in sort of a generic sense. They didn't know about evolution. That was before that theory was uh, devised. So, uh, but this is what the creator is. We were created by evolution. Evolution created the moral emotions over millions of years in our Paleolithic ancestors. In other words, um, if you were just selfish, greedy, hoarding all the resources you possibly could in your little group, because that was the best thing for you to propagate your genes in the next generation, that won't work. That is not the most selfish thing you can do. That is not the best thing you could do for yourself because everybody else in your group, if they're like you, they'll all be doing the same calculation. How can I exploit this guy to benefit myself? If everybody in the group thinks like that, there is no social group. It disintegrates into violence and chaos. The best thing you could do for yourself is to be nice to other people. Now, mind you, this is not a rational calculation. Nobody's thinking about this. You just do it because it feels good. It feels good to be nice to other people. These are called moral emotions. For example, love, empathy, and affection. These are real, deep emotions. They're not calculations. You don't do this in a cold, calculating way as, I'm going to pretend to love my spouse and hope that I get something back. Although I know some people in bad marriages that do that. But good marriages are based on the fact that you really believe it. And your spouse knows that you know that she really believes it, that he really cares. By the way, I'm often challenged by theists, not by Dr. Turek here, but uh, about love. You know, love is not one of these things that science has anything to say about. How can you say that there's evidence for love? Actually, you know what you call love without evidence? Stalking. Think about that for a second. That's a Tim Minchin line. It's very deep, actually. Love has to do with give and take and taking care of each other. That's the best thing you can do. Now, unfortunately, we evolved uh, other characteristics of our nature that are not so good. For example, sometimes people try to take advantage of us. And therefore, we evolved other emotions like anger and revenge that leads us to fight back and defend ourselves against predators and bullies. We evolved the emotion of fear that causes us to pull back and retreat and escape from risks. We evolved the emotion of disgust that directs us to push out, eject, and expel that which is bad for us, such as bodily excreta and other disease vectors. One of the things that people like Hitler do is they, they glom on to the uh, negative moral emotions and attach them to the people that they don't like. This is a collectivist type of thinking. This is why individualist thinking is the right way to go because the body counts can rack up very quickly if you think that your group is better than some other group. Religion is not the only force that does that. Ideologies do that as well. 
Uh, jealousy leads to bait guarding, and so on. In other words, these are emotions that evolved as proxies for what's good for you as an individual. You don't have to think about it, you don't have to do the calculating, you just feel hungry, or you feel love, or you feel affection, or you feel fear, you feel anger, and the emotion is what changes your behavior, causes you to act in a certain way. Therefore, most of the time, most of us are nice to one another. Occasionally, people try to free ride the system, bully the system, and so forth, and therefore, it's good to stand up and fight for yourself. Let me give you some examples of this. I'm going to show you a short video clip here. It's just 20 seconds long. Um, I'm not sure where this is. I, uh, it's in Europe somewhere, I think. It's on a train platform. I found this little video clip when I got tired watching cat videos. And uh, <laughs> so what you're going to see here is, uh, is a conflict between two moral emotions, that revenge, anger, to strike back, to hurt somebody, that hurt somebody that I love or I'm connected to, and then the, the affection, bonding, help, helping emotions. What you'll see is these three are talking. All of a sudden, this guy reaches out and pushes this woman backwards. She stumbles and falls. He reaches out and tries to grab her and misses, and into the train pit she goes. He starts to go like he's going to rescue her, got to help. There might be a train coming. And all of a sudden, he's just overcome with emotion. That bastard. And he turns around and just cold cocks this guy. And it's a beauty roundhouse right out of Hollywood. Bam! Snaps his head back. Bam! Snaps him again. And then he staggers around for a moment like, hey, there was something else I was supposed to do. What was it? Oh, yeah. I, I got to help my friend. He reaches down, grabs her, pulls her up, says something to her like, are you okay? And she says, yeah. And then he immediately goes after this guy who has now made a quick escape out the door so he doesn't get hurt anymore. And then also while you're watching that, watch this guy. He's like an EMT of some sort. And he sees what happens. He comes running down the platform. You'd think he would reach in to grab her, to help her. She's lying on the track. Oh, no. As soon as he sees this guy take off, you can see what he does. All right, so here we go. All that in 20 seconds. Just in case my other video is not working in that uh, direction, let's... The second one I'm going to show you now. Okay, so it, the, I have a whole line of arguments to show that the, the, these moral emotions, this sense of right and wrong and justice and fairness is evolved. It's innate. It's part of our, our genetic package. We're born with it. And not only uh, it, do you see it in our fellow adults, you see it in children, infants, you see it in primates. You see it in tiny little capuchin monkeys whose brains are even smaller than most politicians' brains. And uh, <laughs> I didn't pick a party, sorry. Uh, and uh, so this is a little piece of, a, uh, of a, a video from an experiment by Franz Duval, the great primatologist, who has trained these tiny little brain capuchin monkeys, separated from us by about 20 million years. So this is how far back the moral emotions go. They have been trained to swap a little pebble for a piece of food. In this case, he's going to get a slice of uh, cucumber here. Uh, they like cucumber. It's really good. So he does that, and he eats his cucumber. He's happy about it. Then this one does the same thing, but he gets a grape. You can't see the grapes here, but you'll see it in a second. 
And they really like grapes more than cucumbers because, you know, who doesn't? And um, they taste sweet and so on. And this one sees that this one gets the grape. So he's very excited, like, oh boy, I'm going to get my grape. So he grabs a pebble, gives it to her, and she gives him a cucumber. And you'll see how he feels about that. We're getting grape and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us. That's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now. Gets again cucumber. She tests a rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <laughs> now these little guys don't have language. Uh, they can't express how upset that they are. But you can see, he's pissed. Uh, I mean, this was an unfair exchange. It was an injustice. And that's the proper response to an injustice, is you express anger. You better not do that again. Not cool. And that's how you correct the bad behavior of your fellow group members. You let them know that's not cool. That's what we have a justice system for. That's why it evolved, because we have these deeper emotions. OK. Now, uh, let's consider a, a couple of current events here. The current uh, rights revolution we're undergoing today. I mentioned same-sex marriage before. Um, I won't ask for a show of hands, but you know, most, most, I can tell, I know from the data, that most uh, conservative Christians are against it. Um, and uh, I'd like you to meet my friends. This is Heiko and Jurgen. They're a, a married couple in Germany. My wife is from Cologne. They live in Bonn nearby, and I've gotten to know them quite well. They're one of the happiest married couples, better than mo most straight couples I know. But that's irrelevant. They have the same rights and freedoms to do what they want as I do, as they should. Unfortunately, there's one organization in the world, religion, that doesn't seem to think so. The same-sex marriage revolution is being primarily driven by the nuns, the religiously non-affiliated secularists. It's being pulled up by the rear by the white evangelical Protestants, black Protestants, white mainline Protestants, and Catholics uh, as of uh, 2012. Uh, that, that is the people most uh, against it. But as I said, this is all going to end this year. The Supreme Court's going to vote on a particular case. By the end of this year, all states, or pretty much all states, will uh, legalize same-sex marriage. And by 2020, 2025, all of us will look back at 2015 and the same-sex marriage like you and I now look back at the interracial marriage debate of the 1960s. Remember the interracial, interracial marriage debate? Yeah, I don't either. What? Blacks and whites should not be allowed to marry? What? That was a thing in America? Yes, it was a thing. That's an example of changing moral values, moving more and more toward individual autonomy and rights, and away from tradition and religion. By the way, those of you who oppose both gay marriage and pot legalization, um, I, I found a theological passage uh, that refutes this, because uh, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, 
It says if a man lies with another man, he must be stoned. I can read the Bible too, you know. I was once a Christian. I read both books. <laughs> Let's take another current event, uh, ISIS and violent religion. Actually, I can come back. Is that my... I'm uh, going to give you an extra minute. Okay, extra minute. Give more than that. Uh, I'll just Chris. make this final point. The idea of beheading people and burning them alive is abhorrent to us, as it should be. That is objectively wrong. And yet, it wasn't that long ago that Christians did this very thing. Here's a... Uh, an illuminate, from an illuminated 12th century Bible of two Jews kneeling about to be beheaded for killing Jesus who looks on approvingly from above. Beheading Jews because they killed Christ. This is just an idiotic idea. First of all, Jesus was Jewish. Second of all, he had to die. If you believe this, he had to die to save you from your sins. It was all already orchestrated ahead of time by God. So whoever killed him should be thanked for doing it. You should thank Judas. He should be your hero. He was just doing what he was supposed to do. But in any case, the idea of burning people alive and beheading them and so on is just a bad idea. I call this the witch theory of causality. My final point here is that if you believe that women cavorting with demons in the middle of the night uh, is the cause of crop failures, disease, the plague, shipwrecks, and and, uh, and accidents, then you're either insane or you lived 500 years ago in European Christendom, which everybody believed. What happened to that? Enlightenment humanism and the scientific revolution. That is, instead of moralizing about evil and basing our moral values on superstitions and a book written for Iron Age people, we should use science and reason to solve our social problems and our moral problems. And that's what I wrote this book for. Thank you. We now come to our cross-examination period, and each of our participants will have 15 minutes to ask questions of uh, his colleague, and obviously then uh, we will switch who will be uh, asking questions and who will be answering questions. We'll begin again with Frank Turek for 15 minutes. Stand by. I can call you Michael, right, Michael? Please? I'm sorry? Can I call you Michael? Oh, of course. Okay, good. That's my name. Yes. <laughs> I know. You were just talking about how um, these morals have evolved and evolution gave us this moral sense. Well, that means evolution gave Hitler his moral sense, too. Why is his moral sense worse than, say, your moral sense? Uh, well, I, first of all, I outlined, uh, you know, that the survival and flourishing of individual sentient beings, by the way, I say sentient beings because it's not just humans, primates uh, and so forth should have some of these rights to not be tortured and suffer. Uh, but it's wrong because um, the extermination of so many people, the, the removal of their rights. It's, it's an example of collectivist thought run amok. But, but why is that wrong? It's Who wrong said? because each of us deeply wants to survive and flourish. It's part of our genome. It's part of who we are. 
You just have to ask anybody, and they will tell you, what? yes, I would prefer that. Oh, I, I know that's true. That's true. And Stalin preferred to kill a whole bunch of people so he could get what he wanted. Why was that wrong if there's no God? Uh, because, again, a single individual driving a genocide may benefit the individual, but it sacrifices all the individuals of the group. What's wrong with that? It's wrong because the individuals themselves object to it. And the only way you can make that happen is through force and violence. But Stalin objected to those people living. So what's, what's the problem? Because we don't care about Stalin's individual uh, uh, moral attitudes toward millions of people that he wants to kill. We care about the millions of people. We care, but what if he doesn't? Why, why is his opinion about because what he should do to his psychopath, people? psychopaths like Stalin, who have no moral sense, uh, do not dictate the long arc of the moral universe that's moving more and more toward individuals having autonomy. But why is that good that individuals have autonomy? By what standard? By the standard that evolution granted us the right. But evolution to granted us Hitler. The same you quoted from the founding fathers created, you know, created by who? Inalienable rights. By who? Yeah, by evolution. Is that, that what the, that, the Declaration of Independence says? Evolution? Well, okay, so Endowed I'm by our the, evolution? Listen, by creator, I mean evolution. Our, our, our founding fathers, you say, didn't know about evolution. So why are you putting words in their mouth? They said that our rights are endowed on us by God, our no, creator. No, 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 no. That's not what they said. Okay, first of all, Thomas Jefferson, who wrote those words, was not a Christian. He was a deist at best, and he, and he basically... Uh, purged the Bible of all supernatural, miraculous, you know, the Jefferson Bible. Uh, and so his idea of creation, the creator, is just wherever we came from. We don't know. He certainly did not mean Yahweh, the creator of the Bible, allegedly. He did not mean that God. He just meant wherever we came from, we are given these rights by dint of being human. First of all, the Declaration of Independence is not a deistic document. You have objective moral values coming from a creator. You have divine providence and a day of judgment. What deist believes in divine providence and a day of judgment? Okay, the, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, is they, these are secular documents. It doesn't matter what religion you are. These are the values that we hold dear in America. That's the way it is. We don't care if you're an atheist, a deist, a Jew, a Muslim, a Christian. That's what we believe in here. Okay, okay, good. Let's, let's say you're right about that, Michael, that the, they, they channeled evolution before they wrote the, uh, the document. No, Why? I'm just saying that they used the word creator in a very generic sense. In a, a theistic sense. sense. I agree with you. They, 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 it didn't have to be Yahweh, but it was a theistic God. Okay? That's what a creator no. is. It's not evolution. But let's secondly, not read too much into it. It's just endowed by whatever. Our creator. The point is. That's what the words say. The, the, but the Hello, point McFly. is the inalienable rights, not the creator part. It's the inalienable rights part. The declaration has to do with rights, not where we got, came from. That's not what it's okay, about. Okay. All right. But if that's the case, on what basis did we have to judge the Nazis as immoral if these are just our values and they have their values? Because the people who were being oppressed, in particular the Jews, stood up and said, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We want this stopped. And other groups then came to the, uh, their rescue. Same thing with slavery. Same thing with women's rights. 
It was all the Christians who objected to the uh, slavery abolitionists. It was Christians who objected to women's rights and the women's uh, in, the, in, the, in the franchise. It is Christians who object to same-sex marriage. I'm telling you, you, none of you endorse slavery anymore, although you would have 200 years ago. None of you in, in, endorse the idea of taking the vote away from women, but right, you would right. have a century ago. All right, and well, now you object Michael. to same-sex marriage, but you won't. In another five to ten years, you'll all be on my side on this one. Michael, Mark my words. Michael, let's, I will be back here. Michael, let's let's for the <laughs> let's for the sake of argument say that same-sex marriage is a good thing, right? I am. Uh, it's, it is a good you're thing. You're saying it's better than what we have now. By what standard is it better? How is it a right if there is no God? If it, if there's no God, everything's a matter of opinion. Ask the people who are in love and want to get married. They will tell you. That's subjective, Michael. That's no, not objective. No, it's not subjective. They will say, "Damn it." I want to be treated the same way as you, and I will throw the cucumber back at you if you don't give me the same rights. Okay, That's well, how we know it's true. But, Michael, first of all, first of all, I mean, we could talk about same-sex marriage. I have a book on it, but that's going to take us down a rabbit You're trail. You're not against it, are you? Of course. You yes. would look at my friends, Heiko and yes, Jurgen. Yes, yes, of course, And you Michael. would say, to, what would you say to them? But, Michael, had it... How do we adjudicate? We, we have a disagreement. How do we adjudicate over our two moral precepts? You say you, that same-sex couples have a moral right to wed one another, and I say that marriage is between a man and a woman. How do we adjudicate between those two ideas if there's nobody above us to adjudicate? Uh, we do it in, in America by democracy, by vote. Oh, so whoever votes. So if we vote to murder all the gays, then that's okay. Nope, because the long arc of the moral universe is we're moving more and more toward more freedoms and more liberty so for more people. So it's not democracy then. And in fact, what we're doing is fighting against your conservative restrictions to uh, denying people the rights that they should have. It's but you Michael, guys holding again, back. It's you we're fighting against. Michael, you're assuming rights that your worldview can't afford you. Where do rights come from if there's no I God? just told you where they came from. We get them by being human. We're born. Inalienable but rights. Which That's human? What it Mother means. Teresa or Hitler? I'm sorry, what? Which human? Mother Teresa or Hitler gets to decide? We, uh, none, neither one of them gets well, to decide. There's got to be somebody above us then. No. In any case, if, even if there is somebody above us. Okay. Do you think that, that God tells you personally what you should think about, say, stem cell research, or, you know, how do you know? How do you... It's not your time yet, but... Oh, okay, all right, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm happy to answer that, I'm happy to answer that question. Let me ask you this, because I, I haven't been able to ask a learned man like yourself this question, and I, I say that with all respect, because Michael is at the top of his game on this issue. Um, if your brain evolved by unintelligent, unguided processes, and all your thoughts are completely dictated by the laws of physics, then why should we trust any of your thoughts, including the thoughts that you're stating right here, right now? Okay, first of all, it's not unguided. Natural selection is not unguided. It's not chance, it's not random. It's very much directed towards certain goals. By who? By natural selection, by, who, by survival, the, the passing on of the genes. There's no overseer. To well, the if there's thing. no overseer, you see the Nazis wanted to survive and they didn't want the Jews to survive, so who's to adjudicate between those two? Okay, we do as a species. We decide. Which, which, which one of us decides? Well, look, <laughs> your team didn't help much on this matter. It took a secular democracy to stand up and fight against the Nazis. That's what it took, based on the idea that they're taking the rights away from Jews and other people, homosexuals, gypsies, and so on. By the time that happened, 
Okay, the, the history of civilization, there were lots of Hitlers and lots of genocides like that, not as big because there weren't as many people. But what we've done over the course of history is stop those people. We've stopped them from doing this, not completely, but the rates of genocide are way down in the last three quarters of a century. By the way, that is an excellent point in your book, and I agree with you on that. So there, the, question there is a moral is, the, the question is, why is genocide bad? If yeah, why is it off? bad? Well, ask the people who are going to be killed, and they will tell you. But the people who are doing the killing love it. The so what's, who's to adjudicate? The people who are, okay. The, our concern is the people that are going to suffer or die. That is, is our moral Why base. is suffering wrong? That's, who said? Do you like to suffer and die? Oh, no, I don't like it, but there's a lot of things I don't like that are true. I don't like telling the truth when it's going to hurt me, but okay. I tell it anyway. Show me a place anywhere, short of religious fanatics who want to die and get their 72 virgins, uh, of people that want to die, that want to suffer, that would prefer to live in a society that was rife with crime and murder and rape and, and genocide, not to mention disease and so but on. But, Michael, no, that's, no one likes that's all just like preference. That. That's what they prefer. The question well, is, are their preferences grounded in something beyond themselves yes, that make it so yes. they, what is it grounded yes, in? It's grounded a, a biological in, code? How does that have the authority yes, to tell you? Yes, of course, a biological how, code. How does that have the authority to tell you what to do? Look, anybody that, in, you know, going back billions of years, any organism that does not want to survive and flourish will not survive and flourish. They won't reproduce. They won't. So survival is, but Michael, if survival is our guide, then the Nazis were doing just what they wanted to do to survive. What, what's okay. wrong with that? What's wrong with it is because the individuals that are dying and suffering at their hands are our moral concern, not the people in power, the people that are powerless and being concerned. That's our moral concern. Well, you see, but you're stealing from God to argue against him, Michael. You're, you're, give, you're granting... You're granting human beings... Listen, the ISIS killers sound just like you. They say, we know what's right and wrong. No, we have absolute... Michael, God told us to do this. Michael, you say you know what's right and Where wrong. Where do they get this? How do you Mike, know that they're wrong? And Michael, you're, maybe Michael, the ISIS is right and you're wrong. You just gave the Michael Which Shermer... God is the one? You, you just gave the Michael Shermer Ten Commandments. Ask first principle, help self, then kin and kind, then reciprocal altruism, etc. These are your commandments. Why should we obey yours? Who are you? <laughs> I'll tell you why. There's nothing I wrote in this book, in those modified Ten Commandments, that no thinking person would object to. They wouldn't. You would all agree on these things that I wrote. There's nothing special about them. They're the kinds of things any rational person would come up with. Like, be nice to your fellow people. You know, try to make other people happy. You know, try to do the right thing. There's nothing particularly controversial right, about Michael, that. Michael, let me... Any, re any reasoning being would come up with something like that, which is what we've been doing for 500 years and overthrowing the chains of tradition and religion and ideology to say these were all bad ideas. Let's try something new like inalienable rights of individuals. Michael, how can we, um, how can we even reason if we're just molecules in motion? If we're just moist robots, why should anybody believe what I say or you say if every thought I have is a result of a previous natural cause over which I have no control and the same for you? Well, I don't know why you can't think of any reasons, but as a thinking being, I can think of lots of reasons why. This is what we do. We have, this is what all sentient beings do, and the more cort cortical uh, material they have, the more cognitive processes they can do. Right, but you're Reasoning not is a basic process of survival. You have to be able to infer cause and effect relationships in the environment. It begins with very simple cause and effect relationships, and you build and build on to more complex Exactly, ideas. but that means natural selection builds us towards survival, not truth. 
So not necessarily. No, not necessarily. This is a this is an interesting debate on that. But 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 you have to have some relationship to reality, or else you will not be able to infer cause and effect, and you will be predator rather you will be prey rather than predator. Michael, you're you, you're a materialist. So what is the chemical composition of justice? Okay, the capuchin monkey who gets pissed and throws it. That is no, a I mean, perfect the, the example. The molecular composition. He has no rational calculation. He can't say this was unfair, but you could see that that is the right response to an unfair, unjust social exchange. But right. What, what is justice? What is this value known as justice? Oh, what is when, it made of? When two people do the same amount of effort and one gets more than the other. That's unfair. That's an example of injustice, but what is the value of justice? What's it made of chemically? Okay, you're asking the wrong question. Of course justice I am, because materialism is false. That's why. Justice is a concept that we came up with. Materialism justice is a behavior. Justice is reflected in the behavior of capuchin monkeys or people on train platforms. The expression of that is our innate sense of right okay, and wrong. Okay, it, so it comes with the territory. On your worldview, then a monkey's mind is just like our mind, so why should we trust our well, mind? Well, it's then? scaled down from ours, or ours are scaled up from it, so okay. ours are, we, we can put language to it, we can say that was unjust, we can set up a justice system with rules and write them down, the monkeys can't do that, but they can certainly express themselves. So there's a logic, there's an evolutionary logic to the interaction between sentient beings in a group. You can't just roll over and let people take advantage of you, or fellow monkeys take advantage, you have to fight back. And then you should also be nice about it. That's where these moral emotions come from. Okay, time. I'm going to have to uh, lay down my own commandment. Um, please keep your applause, hold your applause until at the end of each session, because when you applaud, you're actually cutting into the time of the debaters. And as typical, you're actually cutting into the time of your favorite debater if you're applauding what he's saying. So now we're going to hear for 15 minutes questions from Michael Shermer for Dr. Frank Turek. Um, okay. So I mentioned uh, ISIS, you know, it's current, it's in the news. Uh, they are just as confident, as enthusiastic about their beliefs as you are. They, they believe in the same God as you God. I mean, no, they, they say, don't. Uh, they say... No, they don't. You know, Allah. No. But it's, it's the monotheistic God. No, Michael, you Islam ask... Islam is a religion of... It's a monotheistic religion. Michael, you ask any so Muslim scholar and any Christian scholar, if they were in here right now, is Allah and Yahweh the same? Both of them would say no, because Allah is arbitrary and Yahweh's triune. Okay. But that's not what they would say. Yes, yes they would. you would say this. But moderate... Islams, but, but moderate Muslims, they say they believe in the same God as you. you no, they don't. You believe. They don't. We're true. And furthermore, they're just as. But regardless, this is not my point. They believe in a God of some kind. How can any of us that are neither Muslim or Christian tell which God is the right one? Which God is the right one? You yeah. use the evidence. You get a book called "I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist." Well, I'm glad you wrote the sequel to the Bible, but. Uh, <laughs> Why should we believe that? Well, I mean, what evidence? What are you talking about evidence? Are how you much talking time about linguistic evidence? Come tomorrow night. <laughs> or if you give me some time, I'll go through some of it right now. In other words, 
In other words, to an outsider, I, I, I can see that Christians, that Christianity and Judaism has become much more peaceful than they used to be. They used to, as I pointed out, behead people, burn people to death, and so on. They don't do that anymore. Why not? Because they went through the Enlightenment. Islam has not gone through an Enlightenment yet. Hasn't even gone through a Reformation yet. Okay, so we can track historically the difference. But theologically, as an outsider, I can't see any difference. You're enthusiastic, they're enthusiastic. The biggest difference, of course, is one is violent and the other one is not violent. And I'm you know, glad to endorse Christianity over Islam in that sense. Although there's most Muslims would say, hey, that's not fair, that's not cool. Most of us are nonviolent and peaceful, so stop being an Islamophobe. So again, this back and forth, back My and forth. Questions, back and forth. How questions. can we see, how, what's the difference? Well, first of all, well, there's a lot of differences between the Muslim God and the Christian God, but this may surprise you. I don't think you need the Bible or the Quran to know what's right or wrong. In fact, the Bible teaches that. In Romans chapter 2, it says the Gentiles who do not have the law have the law written on their hearts. When Thomas Jefferson started the nation, he borrowed from John Locke, as you point out wisely in your book, who borrowed from Hooker, who ultimately got it from the Apostle Paul because it's written on our hearts anyway. You don't need the Bible to know basic right and wrong. Everybody knows basic right and wrong already. Okay, in the 16th, 17th, 18th, and throughout most of the 19th century, most Christians endorsed slavery. Today, none would. So the arguments they made are just like yours. It's, it's objectively correct, it's right, it's good for blacks, it says so in the Bible, it's, you know, and so on. They made all these arguments that nobody would make today. Something dramatic happened. Uh, why do you think slavery is wrong now, and, and, and why was it okay back, back two centuries ago? Uh, why what, is, happened, what, that, what happened biblically or theologically, or did God have a new revelation to somebody and say, you know what, that was a bad idea? Uh, yes. In fact, uh, if you just give me just one second here, um, stand by for Victor's Victor. In, in other words, the creator of the universe wrote a book, yeah. and he didn't even get it right on slavery. Much uh, less yeah, women's actually, rights. Actually, he did. Much can, less women's rights, can you, gay can, rights. Can you give me the... Any uh, other rights. Hey, uh, what, yeah, go could, ahead. Chris, can you give me the PowerPoint here? First of all, Old Testament slavery was not race-based for servitude. It was voluntary means of working off debt or keeping captives from mustering a rebellion. Secondly, slave trading is condemned in the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testaments. Thirdly, the Bible teaches that all men are made in the image of God. Slave and master are equally human, protected, and one in Christ. That's throughout both Old and New Testaments. Thirdly, Jesus, or fourthly, Jesus came to set the captives free. And fifth, the main, Bible's main goal is spiritual redemption, not social reform. The Old Testament was not ideal. It was forward-looking to a better testament, which is the New. Uh, nobody made that argument before. Christians justified slavery using the Old Testament. My point is you can't be getting your morals from the Bible. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing you don't. It is not a good book. It is not. It is filled with embarrassingly bad commands Michael, that nobody today would obey. Michael, so what it, you've just seen is a spin doctoring of Scripture. Oh, they don't really mean slaves. They mean housekeepers. They were well kept. Baloney! That is not the argument that slave holder, holders held Questions. two centuries ago. Michael, what happened? Michael, let me agree with you that many people have misinterpreted the text, but because oh. people misinterpret okay. Why should you be the final arbiter when two centuries ago the leading theologians Michael, uh, disagreed with Michael, you? Michael, 
people why have, are you right? People have misinterpreted all sorts of okay. different scriptures over the years. Why is your interpretation now correct? What because makes you it, right now, how do you know you're right now? Two centuries from now, we'd be doing a completely different. Michael, debate. how do you know right now gay marriage is a good thing? Evolution can change pretty soon. I can it won't ask be a good my gay thing. friends, how do you feel about it, and they'll tell me, I want the same rights as you. Okay, and that's right. Right, that's folks. fair. That's just. That's moral, regardless of what a 4,000-year-old scripture written for an Iron Age farmer says. First of all, Michael, that's my, backwards. Michael, it's Michael, archaic. Every living human being in America has the same right to marry a person of the opposite sex. That that no, right is they have universal the right to, marry to the person everybody. they're in love with. But that's not the purpose for marriage in a society. The purpose this of is marriage the problem is to, with religion. Michael, it's backwards. Michael, the purpose, the reason the government supports marriage is to perpetuate and stabilize society. It okay, is that's not, not a to problem anymore. It we is don't not have a, to recognize. It's not to recognize romantic love. That's not the reason for it. I mean, I love my son, but I'm not going to marry him. And the government, the government isn't going to recognize that. And really? Shouldn't. That's your counter-argument? You would look to my friends in the eye and say, you do not have the same rights as they I do, have. They do, Michael. Everyone I has the same rights. I might marry my son. If you two couple, you two guys in love or you two women in love, I'm not going to grant you the same rights because I might run off and marry my son. Would you actually do that? Michael, they have this. Everyone has the same rights. The, every person in America marries somebody of the opposite sex. True or false? People do not. True or false? don't want to marry somebody from the opposite sex. Well, it's not in their nature. Look, they don't so, want to. If I want to marry 10 women, should I be able to? Okay. Where is this a problem? Where are people wanting to marry sheep and, uh, and, and 10 women and so on? Where is this a problem? The, the, Where but, is this happening? But, Michael, you are. Gay couples want to get married. They're in love. What's wrong with that? Where's the Christian charity? Where is your Christian charity? Michael, I'm telling you right now, you mark my words, in five to ten years you will all agree with me. And you'll say, God Questions, loves all please. people. God loves gays. Questions, please. And then Questions. what you'll do is you'll say that Episcopalian minister who married couples, that was our guy. You watch. I'm right. Questions, you were on please. the wrong side of history on this one, folks. You are. You were on, you were on the slavery side two centuries ago. Questions, you were on please. the against women side a century ago. Questions. Now you're against gays, and you will change your mind. You will. Dr. Shermer, please, questions, <laughs> questions for your The question opponent. is, is uh, do you finally now agree with me? <laughs> Would you tell my friends they don't have the right to get married? Michael, for an evolved primate, you're doing a lot of moralizing over there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When you have friends that are in love and they got married because yeah, it's legal in Germany, Michael, if I would not, I would not tell them Michael, they don't have the same rights. Michael, if 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 you want to if you want to uh, argue from anecdotes, I can do just the same because a friend of mine grew up right next to me. He got involved in the homosexual lifestyle. Everybody encouraged him to do it. We buried him at the age of what 36. What is the homosexual lifestyle? What is okay. that? What do you think that is? Uh, it's, it, we're, we're before a conservative audience here, an adult audience. I'm not going right. to go into what, that. What you're talking about here is, is just like the black lifestyle or the Jewish lifestyle. It's Michael. the same bigotry. Michael. It's Michael. ugly bigotry. Stop, stop saying these Michael. things about gay Michael. people. Michael. Michael. They're not true. Michael. It's not true. They don't want to make you gay. Gay life. And do you actually think you could become gay if you're straight? Just because you met a gay person? Questions, Seriously? please. Questions, please. Stop the bigotry. When are you going to stop the bigotry against gays? Michael, That's my question. Michael, race is not a behavior. Sexuality is a behavior. This There's is what people things. used to argue about blacks. 
There's I, a look, black lifestyle. There's I've a met, Jewish lifestyle. Michael, these I've are met, the arguments that used to be made that nobody would make today. I've met many former homosexuals. I've never met an African American, a former African American. Never. Listen, people used to argue that women were too emotional and unstable to run companies and run countries. That was wrong. That was a bad idea. It turns out that's false. This is how our moral values change. Most of them, we debunk these idiotic ideas we hold about other people. That's what we're going through right now. Questions, please. We have five minutes. Well, I, I think I formed my question in the form of an answer, like Jeopardy. All right, so if it's not in the Bible, obviously you can't do research about it. So when you personally face a moral conundrum, whatever it is, with your family, friends, or business, or whatever, how do you decide? Probably the same way you do. I mean, I may look at the Bible if it's going to give me some moral insight in a, in a particular regard. Um, but my duty is to God first, and to people second, and to things third. Okay, but okay, the first part, certainly the people, yes. The first part, you, uh, do you pray about it? Sure, sometimes. Okay, yeah. and then what comes back? I mean, do you, like a still small voice within, or a well, thought, a feeling? No, I, the will, I, I, I mean, this let is me, serious. let me, let, I'm not a very mystical person, Michael, and when people come to me and they say, God told me this, I get a little, I get a little concerned, but my point is, is that the will of God is never contrary to the word of God. So if somebody, if somebody comes to me and says, God told me to leave my wife, I go, that wasn't God. Well, okay, but if somebody, if a woman came to you and said, you know, my husband is beating me and I'm afraid he's going to kill me and God told me to leave him, you wouldn't say, no, that's not God. Well, there's, you would make a decision based on the context. Yeah, now you're bringing some different information into it and now I would say, yes, we need to protect well, it's you. It's all information. If your friend goes... Well, I just, you know, I'm just tired and bored of marriage. Then, yeah, of course you go, hey, come okay. on, dude. You know, that's not cool. That's right. If it's, you know, he's going to kill me, yeah, you should leave him. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, Agreed. it's all people. There's no God in there. It's all people in context. Right, but in order to adjudicate between different moral ideas, between something between our society and, say, the Nazi society, there needs to be something beyond both societies that is the best standard that one society is closer to than the other, correct? Okay, but how do you know, okay, even if that's true, there's some outside, so how do you get to it? Mike, that's I don't know why I'm you're asking. asking that question, because you already know basic right and wrong. So why are you asking the question, how do you know that torturing I'm, I'm babies curious, for fun no, is, I mean, you know it, I know it. And secondly, you should be the one asking yourself that question, because if you're just a moist robot, a molecular machine, why should you believe <laughs> anything you think? <laughs> The power of electric meat, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> well, no, really, honestly, but, Michael, but I want to know. I honestly, source up there, I, I honestly want to know. I get to ask you a question. Oh, sure. Okay. If, if there's an outside source up there, how do you access it? I mean, this is a serious question, not a mystical thing, uh -huh. but like through prayer, the still small yes. voice, you have a sense. Reading the Bible, meditation, I get advice from other, other people who are further down the road than I am, and... I, I don't, I, look, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, many people in here will disagree with me. I've never had God say a word to me. Never had an audible voice. No, none of that. I, maybe I'm just not that kind of person. But uh, God has given us creation, conscience. I have a conscience. We all have a conscience. And, he, and I think he's given us Christ through his word. 
When you have creation conscience in Christ, you have some objective rules for living and you have a purpose for life. There's no purpose in atheism, so how can there be right or wrong? Okay, there's no there, direction okay, first to of all, it. First of all, there's no, atheism, there's no such thing as atheism as a thing. It's just we don't believe in God. End of story. What do you believe in? I believe in rights. I believe in freedoms and liberty and justice. and so I believe in all sorts of things. And all those things, things you have to steal from a theistic worldview. No, no, no. These, don't, these come from the Enlightenment. These come from secular Enlightenment philosophers who created in the late 18th century the idea of rights, that we're born with rights. We get them as human. That does not come from the Bible. It but, comes from people like Jefferson and Locke and Hume and Kant and so on. These are secular Enlightenment philosophers. Michael, Kant was a believer. Well, okay. These sort of deistic, you know, they're, but they're not getting it from the Bible. It's you have not a minute like, to ask questions. Okay. So it's almost like, you know, you, you're familiar with Mormonism, where, you know, uh, Joseph Smith got a revelation from God just about the time he started this affair with this woman down the street. You know, okay, the polygamy was okay. And then that spread for a while, and that, that was the thing. And then when they wanted, Utah wanted to become a state in 1896, they suddenly got a new revelation from God saying, you know what, this polygamy thing, bad idea. Uh, and they got the same kind of revelations about blacks being in the priesthood in the 1970s when they collided with the civil rights uh, revolution. This is what happens when religions collide with changing moral values. They change. Are you going to change? I will change if I misunderstand something, of course, but I don't think Mormonism is true because there's no evidence that it's true. Golden plates are not a miracle. I can make golden plates in my garage. Well, I, I think that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Uh, but okay. Our time is up. All right, now we're going to be forming lines on either side. The, if you're asking a question for Dr. Michael Shermer, be on this microphone. If you're asking a question for Dr. Frank Turek, be behind this microphone. And please remember that you are asking questions, and there to be no longer than 30 seconds. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We're first going to have a question for Dr. Frank Torek. He is going to have two minutes to answer the question, and then Dr. Michael Shermer will have one minute to respond. After you ask your question of 30 seconds or less, please go to the end of the line immediately or be seated because there are no follow-up questions. Oh, sorry. Um, so, for the sake of argument, let's say objective morality exists, there's a God, he has those rules played out for us. My question to you is how as humans, well, so you had a picture of Hitler and Mother Teresa up on the board. Those are two very devout Christians. Hitler's, if you read Mein Kampf, Hitler, a lot of his ideologies should come from the Bible. As a Jew, I know this very well. And well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hitler a Christian? Do you think Hitler was seriously worshipping a Jew? Hitler was very much Christian. His beliefs were, if you, this is, I've, this, I've been, as a devout Jew, I've been to the Holocaust Museum many times, you can go there yourself. They have lots of articles about how Hitler... So your question was, what, is Hitler no, 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 no. a Christian? And the answer is no. I'll ask my question. Okay. Next question, please. Let me get, my, let me get the question out. <laughs> Touchy subject, I'll continue. So, we can't know these rules without some form of interpretation. We're humans, that's the thing. We're not perfect beings. We have to interpret these rules. So you like to use that word, so I'll use the word yourself. How do we adjudicate between your interpretation of these objective morality and, let's say, my interpretation, or Mother Teresa's, or Hitler's interpretation of these objective morals?
Well, you use common sense principles, but what you're getting at here is how we know anything, okay? Reality is that which is. Metaphysics is what is that which is. Epistemology is how we know that which is. And if you notice, Michael Shermer and I are differing over, I'm talking about what actually is. What is this particular moral law out there? And Michael's talking about how we know it. He's a step up. He's not dealing with the key question. Where does morality come from? Objective moral laws. Linguistics is how we communicate. And hermeneutics is how we know what's communicated. And how do we know? Just like we know when somebody says something to you. You, you use common sense principles. Like if I say to you, this uh, MacBook Pro cost me an arm and a leg, you know that's a metaphor. You don't think I'm a double amputee, right? Uh, when the Bible says Jesus is the door, you know, you don't think he has hinges. You think, you think that that is a metaphor for Jesus is the way to salvation. So sometimes it can be hard to figure out, admittedly, but that's true in all human communication. It can be hard to figure out what the communicator is saying. But in the Bible, I think the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Dr. Shermer, you have a minute to respond? Yep. Uh, so, well, first of all, Hitler was Catholic. Uh, whether he was serious about it or not, you know, who knows? Most politicians uh, use religion to whatever extent they can for power. Uh, I don't think the Nazi movement uh, was either theist nor atheist. It was uh, based in a sort of uh, anti-enlightenment, blood and soil, race-based utopian idea that was just a bad idea uh, that uh, hopefully will never rise again. All right, we have a question now for Dr. Michael Shermer. He has two minutes to respond. Dr. Shermer, um, I have a question for you. You say that science is used to to um, make moral um, decisions. So you used as an example the Jews in World War II that they didn't want to get killed, and there were so many slaughtered so you, that you realized that they that that's wrong. So you must realize that 50 million children in the womb have been slain since 1970s. They didn't want to be killed. They were bleeding. They were hurt. They came out dead. So surely you don't believe in abortion, right? Uh, okay, so I deal with abortion uh, in the moral art. Clearly, this is a uh, complex and hard issue for anybody on either side. Uh, if, if you take this perspective, uh, you, could, you could look at, instead of the moral art bending toward justice, like Dr. King said it was, it's bending backwards with the death of, of, uh, of fetuses. Okay, so uh, here we have a conflict between the rights of the woman, the mother, and the rights of the fetus. I don't think it's easily resolvable one way or the other. I come down, I'm pro-choice, personally against abortion, uh, uh, but I'm pro-choice. I slightly favor the rights of uh, an adult woman uh, for her reproductive rights for several reasons, not the least of which is, uh, for thousands of years men have lorded it over women by controlling their reproductive rights. So one of the shifts toward more rights for more people is to get men to quit trying to control women by having them control their reproductive rights. That's been one of the big movements. Uh, that said, uh, you know, it's a fair point. Um, you know, if you do it, you shouldn't do it lightly. I'd rather it not be done at all. The long-term solution is uh, prosperity, education for women, access to birth control. You decline the amount of uh, pregnancy, unwanted pregnancies, and therefore you eliminate the abortion problem through technology. Dr. Turkey, one minute. Yeah, you want men not to put pressure on women, make abortion illegal, then they can't. Secondly, I've, uh, 
I've noticed on every college campus I go to, atheists complain about the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament kills the Canaanites. Yet, when God plays God in the Old Testament, he's immoral. But when atheists play God here and kill people here, somehow that's a moral right. Can anyone justify that for me? We have a question now for Dr. Frank Turk. Yes. Your criticism of science is that there is no materialistic explanation of morality. But theism makes the truth claim of knowing right from wrong. Is it not then the theistic burden of proof to tell us which religion is true and which are false? To be a theist is to be atheist to all gods but your own. I don't know if that's a question. What's the question? The question is, is it not your burden of proof to tell us which religions are true and which are false? Well, yeah, I think that's wise to try and figure out which worldview is true and which isn't. Michael thinks his materialistic worldview is true. I don't think it is. I think he can't even uh, justify morality. He can't justify reason. He can't even justify the ability to do science. Again, because if we're molecules in motion, none of those things actually exist, or we couldn't do science if we're just molecular machines. I think, yes, you ought to give evidence for your worldview. That's what I try and do through books. And the Bible actually tells us to do that. The Bible actually says, always be ready to give an answer. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The uh, prophet Isaiah says, come let us reason together. Uh, Paul says, I'm set in defense of the gospel. Paul also says, let's destroy arguments and take every thought captive to Christ. So contrary to what most people think, Christianity is a worldview built on reason. You get evidence that it's true, and then you trust in the object of that evidence. Christianity is not blind faith. Atheism's blind faith. You have one minute. Dr. Sherman. I, I think this is an excellent point. It's one of the, one of the reasons I gave up on Christianity. I was a, Christian, I was a born again evangelical Christian for seven years. I, one of the things that bothered me about it is when I started to study other people and other groups, other religions, other cultures, and so on, all of whom were as confident as I was that they were right. So that got me thinking, well, what are the chances that I happen to have picked the right one, which is completely determined by where I was born and raised and surrounded by Christians and so forth, and they're all wrong, all of them, all 10,000 other religions in the world, they're all wrong, and I, I happen to get the right one. That seemed to me a, a, a little too egocentrical. All right, we have a question for Dr. Frank Turret. Yes, thank you. Uh, be it God or evolution that gave man free will, your opinion of the theory that science and evolution are an all-encompassing result of the universe's expression of that free will. I'm not sure that was a question, sir. I didn't quite get it. Can you rephrase it? In other words, be it molecules or biology, evolution, it came together yeah. and it functions right. in a free will. Now, be that free will a gift of God or a gift of evolution, how do you... Okay, I think I, of free will. How does free will, man's free will, we have play the ability, into this? We have the ability to choose between choices within certain limitations. I can't choose to jump 60 feet in the air, obviously. But in the Christian worldview, there's a material realm and an immaterial realm. 
And the immaterial realm deals with laws of logic and consciousness and laws of morality and even laws of nature. In the materialistic worldview, everything's molecules, everything's material, everything's governed by the laws of physics. Theism can explain why these immaterial realities exist. Atheists cannot, but what atheists tend to do is they steal from God's world in order to make their case. So I can't see how you can have um, free will if there, there is no immaterial realm. If we're just governed by the laws of physics, then everything Michael Shermer says and everything I says, everything I say is the result of the laws of physics. So why, why believe what I believe? Why believe what he believes? Right. Dr. Shermer, you have a... The free will of the universe, you're taking a pantheistic view of the world? Okay, I, I don't... Yeah, I think that we should get Let's talk next later, question. you and me. So, yes, sir, okay. Uh, Dr. Shermer, you have well, one point minute. that um, it, 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 there's no little homunculus, there's no mini-me inside you making decisions for you. Uh, and that's true in the materialist case, but it's also true in the, in the theist case. That, if there's a soul in there, or some spirit entity making decisions for you, it's still not you making the decisions. It's still some other source doing it. Uh, so that doesn't really solve the problem. Although I still come down on the side of free will uh, for various reasons that I describe in a chapter on that. But, but basically, I do believe that even though we live in a determined universe, materialistic universe, the choices that we make within it are still real choices that we should be held accountable for. All right, we have a question now for Dr. Michael Shermer. Mr. Shermer, um, you mentioned that um, Mr. Turek and other Christians are on the wrong side of the um, moral progress, um, that history is evolving much more towards individual, individual rights. But my question to you is, many times in history, various different cultures coexisted with each other where one culture would hold what we would consider regressive ideas, while other culture would hold progressive ideas. To give an example, although the, the Mongol Empire was violent, and you know, its conquest was in a morally in incorrect, they facilitated religious freedom and, and allowed any of its subject to you know, practice any religion freely, where at the same time in medieval Europe, they you know, violently suppressed any other religious minorities. Also, in the Korean culture... We need a question, please. Yes, I'll, uh, I'm getting to it. Well, it's a 30-second question. My apologies. So in... So in light of those two cultures you know, you know, pre, you know, coexisting with one another, wouldn't you say that you know, our supposed march to you know, progress is just simply that we are the militaristic and the cultural victor of our time? Yeah, um, so I had a hard time hearing some of that, but the, the, the idea of the moral arc is that, yes, of course, you can have coexisting societies, groups, civilizations, nations, whatever, and as long as they don't bother each other to you know, teach their own and we all live in peace. Unfortunately, that's not the way the real world works. Uh, too, too many people moralize about their beliefs, that you are standing in the way of us reaching utopia, and therefore we must put an end to you. We have to get you, get you out of the way. And, and that's how, not just religions, but, but, but ide Marxist ideologies is another example of it. Collective, any kind of collectivist ideology of any kind leads to that kind of uh, moralizing and violence against individuals, and that's where the problem is. Again, I, I, I don't have any problem. All the Muslims I know are nice people. But it, uh, clearly we can see in the daily news there's plenty that are not like that. That's what worries me is those that turn to violence. Dr. Frank Turek, you have one Michael, minute. do you in any way abhor the violence and threats that were rained down against the Indiana pizzeria who said they wouldn't bake a gay cake? What? 
Okay, I don't think the big cake thing is, 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 is all that it's been made up to be. I think this happened one, one example. Um, if you were a Jewish baker and a neo-Nazi couple came in and said, we'd like you to make a cake, we're getting married and put Hitler and a swastika on it, I think they should have the right to say, no, thank you, I'm not going to do it. So to this extent, I slightly favor on the side of the Indiana baker to say, no, thank you. Uh, only slightly because I believe in individual freedom and market freedoms, but admittedly, sometimes the law has to be pretty strong to put an end to things that are immoral, like slavery. It took, it took a war and 650,000 dead Americans to put an end to slavery here. I don't think it would have ended uh, peacefully on its own. It took Kennedy to send the federal troops to segregate, desegregate the South. It took Johnson to send federal troops for Dr. King to get from Selma to Montgomery. They wouldn't have made it otherwise without the federal troops armed against the bigots and racists there. Sometimes you have to come down on the side of what's right, sometimes with guns. Due to the uh, time restraints that Stony Brook University has placed on us, we're going to have to limit this uh, question and answer session to only one more question from oh. each of our debaters. Oh. Apologize, but we have no choice in this matter. And uh, we will go with uh, where we left off. How about, how about if we do five-minute closing instead of ten-minute? We're actually already reducing that to six minutes oh. anyway. Uh, I'll give up my closing statement. Where, where's, where's Dr. Brisbane? She can do anything. She had to go? Okay. All righty. Uh, question for Dr. Frank Turk. Um, uh, thank you, by the way, Dr. Turk and Dr. Schirmer for coming tonight. Um, if human beings are fallible and God can reveal his word directly to human beings, much like he did to the authors of the Bible, how do you know that the revelations to those fallible human beings about God's, God's character, such as his perfect, honest nature, or revelations to yourself are indeed true and accurate? Well, good question. Um, it is true that people err, but people don't always err. I mean, there are many inerrant books out there. Usually they're kids' books with not a lot of writing in them. They're inerrant. A phone book that has all the numbers, names and numbers right is inerrant. There are many inerrant books. The question is, are there more than one inspired book? So just because people err doesn't mean we always err. Much of what Michael says is true. Hopefully what much, of, much of what I say is true. Just because I'm a human doesn't mean I'm always going to err. Sometimes I'm going to tell the truth. And if there is a God and he does want to communicate his truth through people, he can ensure that they don't err. Um, uh, Dr. Michael Shermer. Response. Yeah, I, I, I think the question's a great one. It's, it's a serious problem. Which, which prophets are the right ones? Which interpreters should we listen to? And clearly, historically, if you look at the long view, they don't usually agree. So historically, they sort themselves out, but there's no, the problem with the religion is there's no systematic it's, method it's to get true. at what's the actual correct answer. Uh, other than, you know, this faith is against that faith and we have a war and we yell and shout and, and somebody comes out on top, that's how it's determined. That's a problem. And our final question for Dr. Michael Sherman. It's not the final question, Stoner has allowed us two more questions. Two more questions. Two more questions each. <laughs> Dr. Brisbane. Thank you. Uh, this question is for uh, Dr. Turek. Uh, my question is, you, you said that God yeah. No, you're, you're supposed to be asking a question of Dr. Michael Shermer. Oh, I'm okay with him doing it that way. It's okay. All right, go ahead. Um, uh, basically, God is the standard of our morality. Yes. And a, a platonic a, a person with platonic values uh, who believes in uh, pl 
uh, platonic idealism would argue the same thing. My question is, why do you have to presuppose that God is an actual being intervening in the course of human history based on your Christian convictions? Yeah, excellent question. Plato had the forms, and the forms included moral forms. The problem is, if these moral forms really exist, like justice or virtue or selflessness, under what obligation are any of us under to adhere to those moral forms if, the, if the, the, these commands don't come from a person? Commands don't come from its, they come from whose. So we know that in our practical experience, and we know God by his effects. That's how we know he exists. We see creation. We know there must be a creator. We see conscience. We know there must be a moral lawgiver. We see a Christ. We know there must be a source for Christ and then the scriptures. So we, we, we know God by his effects. And when we have a conscience that tells us certain things are right and certain things are wrong, we know that the being given us that particular conscience must be a moral being. And as I say, commands only come from whose, they don't come from it. So Plato's forms don't cut it. We have another question for Dr. Michael Shermer now. But having listened to the debate kind of veer off into some of your arguments, similar to Hitchens before he died, Dawkins, Silverman, why, why can't you or these other men be honest about what the Bible teaches about Christianity? What I mean by that is Catholicism, Mormonism, organized religion is always presented as this, this caricature of what the Bible really teaches. And I, I'm, I'm being sincere. Why can't you, being so well studied, debate an honest view of the Bible? Well, what do you mean by who's defining the honest part? I, I mean by, like, if you would, I'm sure that with the degrees you have, you studied whole books, not portions of books. So when you do that with the Bible, you come to a much different conclusion than what you are making the caricature out to be of what the Bible teaches. And I don't understand why that is. Well, okay, first of all, when I was a, when I was a Christian, I was an evangelical. This was in the early to mid-70s. Um, I didn't belong to any church. The evangelical movement at the time was sort of anti-church because we could see the hypocrisy of religions themselves. So the idea was, well, it's just me and Jesus, me and God, me and the Bible, whatever. Just, just make it as direct as possible so you're not dependent upon people's interpretations. The problem is when you go to a theology school like I did, I went to Pepperdine University. It's a Church of Christ school. So you start taking classes in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the, the, the life of Jesus, and so forth. And, and it's nothing but interpretations. It's this, this theologian says this, this theologian says that, Catholics say this, the Baptists say that, the Presbyterians say this. And, and, and you go down that road. This is the problem uh, is that, well, the previous question, who's doing the interpreting? And, of course, if it's just me and I'm not dependent on anybody else, it's still me. You know, I have a point of view. All sentient beings have a point of view. So... Ultimately, we, we come back to that. And Dr. Frank Turek, you have a minute. Yeah, scientists say different things too, but nobody claims there's no objective world. You have many different scientists over, arguing over different forms of evolution and intelligent design and all these things, and nobody says there's no objective reality out there or no objective world. So just because there's disagreement doesn't mean there's not a right answer. Secondly, when it comes to Christianity, all Bible-believing people believe in the basic things, what C.S. Lewis would call mere Christianity. 
These are people who believe in the Bible. Now, there are many denominations out there that don't. They're no better than hymn singing rotary clubs, okay? Why, why, why go? Why, I mean, some of these more liberal uh, churches, why don't you just go read the New York Times from the pulpit? What's the point? You know, if you're not going to read the Bible, what's the point? Um, but I think, I think Christians agree on the essentials, that there is a God and you are not him, uh, that there is a Savior. We, we've all sinned. Jesus is the Savior. He's God. He's going to come back. And if you trust in him, you will be saved. All Christians agree on that. They may disagree over modes of baptism, different kinds of liturgy, what music to play, what's the color of the carpet, all that stuff. But most of the major elements of Christianity, what we would call the fundamentals, even Protestants and Catholics agree on. In fact, conservative Catholics have more in common with conservative Protestants than conservative Protestants have in common with liberal Protestants. Liberal Protestants are hymn singing rotary clubs. We have another question for Dr. Frank Turk. Yes, hello, uh, Dr. Frank Turk. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, my question for you is, uh, when you look at uh, biblical Christianity and secular atheism and humanistic the uh, philosophy and, you know, religion and, I'm sorry, not religion, science, um, would you see that, you know, Christianity is mostly based off of just the work of God and not of man? Like man's choice doesn't save, God's sovereign grace and will and election before the world began saves a, a sinner without works. Whereas in evolution, it's the work of man. Look at, oh, look at us. Look how great we are. Look how great we evolved. It's all man-centered. It's a man-centered religion. Whereas Christianity is a belief in a divine creator who gives glo no glory to man but to the God himself. Well, I don't know it. if an evolutionist would, would, would agree with that characterization. I don't know if Michael would. He'll have an opportunity. But I'd, I'd rather talk about the fact that, you know, when you get older, you start to lose your train of, um, yeah, thanks a lot. Um, give, me, give me the essence of your question again. Pretty much. Creation is the work of God. Evolution is the work of oh, man. Oh, okay. I know I was going with this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the center of the, the, the one word theme of the Bible is redemption. You have paradise lost in Genesis, paradise regained in Revelation. Everything else is a story of redemption. Where God, after he creates us and we fall, we sin against him. He literally enters the bloodstream of humanity. And that's what the Old Testament is all about. How Jesus, the Messiah, ultimately gets to the right time in history to come into human flesh and he takes the sins of the world on himself and by trusting in him we can be saved because God is a just being he can't allow people to go unpunished uh, and if you don't want that that's fine God won't force you into heaven against your will that's what the whole story of Christianity is it's about redemption we have a minute from Dr. Michael Shermer Right, so you're a, a monotheist. You believe God and, and Jesus are one and the same, right? So the idea is that God sacrificed himself in the form of Jesus to himself to save us from himself. To me, this is just barking mad. We have a final question of the evening for Dr. Michael Shermer. Uh, Dr. Sharman, thank you very much. So, <clears throat> I, I didn't really get where there is a, uh, a uh, moral, uh, scientific morality, but so I'd ask the question, is the scientific morality, um, what causes the survival of the race, or is the scientific morality what offends a person? And for example, if a person was the last hope of humanity, they had something in their blood 
whatever, and they chose, I don't want to give up my blood. I have this, I'm immune to a disease that's going to wipe humanity out, but it's my right. I don't want to give up my blood. Should we go against his desire to be left alone, or should we, is morality the survival of the race and anything that would cause that? Yeah, so this is a good question. Um, The the hard problem here is, like, you have these moral dilemmas, like... um, a doctor has uh, five patients in his five ORs that are all dying of organ failure. In the waiting room is a perfectly healthy person. Should he kill the healthy person, harvest the five organs, and save the five? The answer is no. That would be immoral and illegal, by the way. <laughs> Don't think about doing it. Uh, and the reason is, is because we have decided that the sanctity and autonomy and liberty of the individual trumps that of the group. The one is more important than the five. That, that, that is what we have decided over the last two That's centuries the, of, of Western science. civilization. That's democracy, not science. No, science uh, no, no, no. Democracy, uh, no. That's this is why we have restraints on democracy. This is why we have the Bill of Rights. It doesn't matter if 99% of Americans think That's we should science. kill Jews or whatever. The Bill of Rights says you can't do it. That's why we have the Bill of Rights. And we have one minute from uh, Dr. Frank Turek. Well, I think a strength of Michael's book is he deals with these moral dilemmas in there, and he has a lot of different scenarios. I highly encourage you to get it and read it because uh, he really gets into depth on a lot of the scholarship there, so it's a very good aspect of Michael's book. But let me point out one thing about dilemmas. Dilemmas don't prove morality's relative. Dilemmas prove morality's absolute or objective because... You know, the old life raft thing, you know, if you've got three people on a life raft, it's only fit for two. If you don't pull somebody off, which you don't push somebody off, everyone's going to die. What do you do? Or the same scenario that Michael just gave. The only reason it's the dilemma is because you know how valuable life is. In an evolutionary worldview, you push everybody off. Who cares? It doesn't matter. We're all just overgrown germs anyway. What's the point? So dilemmas actually prove that there is an objective morality. And if there's an objective moral law, there must be an objective moral law giver. Well, now it's time for our closing statements. And since uh, Dr. Turek had his turn to go first with the opening statements, we're going to allow Dr. Michael Shermer to begin first with the closing statements. You have six minutes. Hey, uh, Chris, could you give him 10? Because I- No, 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 let's just do, I don't have 10, but it's, it's five. Right. Five is well, fine. yeah. I, might, I have a prepared one, so it may take oh. a little longer, but all right. I'll go as fast as I can. Jersey. Um, I'll tell you what, you go, if you go first, then I can put together my... Sure, that's fine. You go first. I'll yep. be happy to do that. Yep. Is that okay? Yes, this has already proven to be a day without laws, right. so go ahead. LAUGHTER <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Well, let me try and sum up. If you notice the difference between Michael and me is the difference between ontology and epistemology. Michael is talking about how do we know the objective standard of morality? That's epistemology. That's how you know something. The question I'm trying to get at is why does the objective standard of morality exist in the first place? And I'm saying that's best explained by God. If there's a moral law, there must be a moral law giver. Michael has to resort to, to materials, rocks. Do rocks have the authority to tell you what to do? I don't think so. This is the difference between knowing and justifying morality. You can know what a book says while denying there's an author, but there would be no book to know unless there was an author. Likewise, atheists can know 
objective morality while denying God exists, but there would be no objective morality to know unless God exists. Now, can evolution account for morality? No. Why? Because moral laws are not chemical or biological. They are immaterial and come from personal agents. You know, what, that's what I was asking Michael before. What's the chemical composition of justice? He couldn't answer because it's a, it's a category mistake. Moral laws aren't made of materials, yet Michael's a materialist, so all he has to choose from are materials. Chemistry and biology are descriptive, not prescriptive. Evolution describes what does survive, not what ought to survive. Why humans? And which humans? Why not the Nazis rather than us? Should we rape to survive? I mean, if it's all about survival, you can survive and get your genes in another person by raping them. Should you do that? Also, should we murder the weak to help others to survive? Michael, to his credit, said no, but that's exactly what Hitler did using natural selection as his principle, Darwinian natural selection. And since evolution is a process of change, then morals must change. Rape may one day be considered good. Michael kept asking me, when are you going to change? When are you going to change? Well, I might change, but that doesn't mean I change for the better. And finally, why cooperate when not cooperating helps you survive? Michael talked, well, you got to cooperate to have a society. What if I'm Stalin and i got a lot of power and I don't need to cooperate? I can kill 20 million people and get what I want. Why should I care if there's no God or no judgment when I'm dead? Amen. In fact, Darwin had a great doubt about his whole theory of macroevolution. And I've been trying to get Michael to answer the question, if you're just molecular machine, or if you're just a molecular machine, or if your molecules in motion, a moist robot, why should you trust anything you believe? Darwin had a similar doubt. Here's what he said. With me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust in the convictions of a monkey's mind, if there are any convictions in such a mind? Why should you believe your mind if it's put together by these random blind processes? In fact, my friend John Lennox puts it this way. He asks scientists, he says, tell me about your, your how, how do you do science? And they normally come up, they say, well, I got this amazing machine. He goes, no, 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 forget the machine. I'm talking about how do you do science here? He goes, oh, you mean with my mind? I mean my brain? Yeah, he says, tell me about the brain, Lennox asked the scientist. Tell me, you know, how did you get it? And the scientist will say, well, my brain is the product of unintelligent, processes that had no direction and they just brought my brain together and Lennox says and you trust it <laughs> in fact we know that these things which are immaterial exist minds laws of logic laws of mathematics laws of nature the very laws that you need to do science are immaterial I mean the law of gravity is immaterial we can see its effect but it's not a physical thing it affects physical things, but it's not a physical thing itself. The laws of morality, love and justice, these are all immaterial things that can't be explained by molecules in motion. In fact, Michael called Christianity a superstition. No, you know what the superstition is? It's atheism. That's the superstition because you are not just a physical body, a mere molecular machine. That's a superstition called atheism. In fact, that my friend Ed Fraser, who wrote the book The Last Superstition, makes this point. This is superstitious to believe everything's materials because we know there are several things that aren't material. They're immaterial. In fact, I wouldn't be even, even be able to talk here and you wouldn't even be able to understand what I'm saying if we weren't trafficking in these immaterial laws of logic that aren't made of molecules. The truth is you are a soul with a physical body. 
Now, he might say, well, if you damage your brain, you won't have a mind. True. If I damage my router, I won't have a Wi-Fi signal. But the router and the Wi-Fi signal are not the same. The router is the instrument through which the Wi-Fi signal is transmitted. They're two different things. Similarly, the brain trans is, is the instrument through which you have a mind. And if you damage the brain, you won't have a mind. However, the brain itself is not the complete source of your mind. There's somebody holding all this together, what all men know to be God. And it might be of interest to you that one day we will have a reconstituted body and brain in the resurrection body. So to sum it up, objective morality requires a map. It requires a moral standard outside of us. And when I say objective moral standard, I'm saying that's in God's nature. Uh, Michael hinted at what's called the Euthyphro Dilemma. Does God look at another standard? In, in that case, he's not God or he's unnecessary. Or does God arbitrarily make things up? If that's the case, then uh, he's arbitrary. Well, no, God is the standard. There's not something beyond him and he doesn't invent things. He is the standard. And so rules come from who's not its. And God is the right answer. Now, last thing before I go. It's interesting when I go to college campuses. So I just have like two, two minutes here. Chris, is that okay? Hmm? Two minutes here? Is that okay? You actually have three. Okay, I actually have three. Okay. Um, when I go to college campuses, I'll often ask atheists, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And on several occasions, they'll say, no. And I'll go, no. How's that reasonable? How's that rational? It's not. The problem isn't here for many people. Quite frequently, the problem is here. I can tell you this, that the elephant in the room is not evidence. The elephant in the room is morality and accountability. People don't want there to be a God because they want to be God. They want to go their own way. See, and I have that problem sometimes too. It's inconvenient for God to exist when I want to do something I know I shouldn't do. The problem is many of us are on a happiness quest. We're not on a truth quest. If you want to have ultimate happiness, though, you got to go straight through truth. Now here, here's the ironic thing. This is the very ironic thing. The very people who are shying away from God because of morality, yeah, God does create a problem for morality, but you know what? God is the only solution to morality. In fact, in fact let me explain what I mean. You see, we have a relative moral standard in our mind, from the moral giant Mother Teresa down to the moral midget Hitler. And next to Hitler, we put criminals. We know they're not quite as bad as Hitler, but they're bad. And then next to criminals, we put all the immoral people we all know. You know, our immoral friends and relatives who aren't quite as good as we are because our picture's right here next to Mother Teresa, right? <laughs> and then if we believe in heaven and hell at all, we arbitrarily draw a line in the sand and we say, these are the bad people, they're going to hell, and we're the good people, we're going to heaven. That's what we think. That's not the way the moral universe really works. No matter what moral standard we have, Michael and I may have different moral standards in certain areas, we can all admit we haven't lived up to it. None of us have. We've, we've, none of us have lived up to the moral standard. And the problem here is the line does not run up and down. We shouldn't be comparing ourselves to one another. The actual line runs across the top and all of us have fallen short of that standard. And what, and what Christ did is he came and he lived the perfect life in our place. He's the perfect human being who took all of the punishment on himself. So all we need to do is trust in him and his sacrifice will cover our sins. Michael had a funny way of putting that, but that's not the way it actually works. 
Jesus is a second person in the Trinity, and he has a human nature. His human nature isn't God. His divine nature is God. And when he comes to earth, he comes as the perfect human who takes his punishment on himself. If God doesn't punish sin, he's not just. He's not the standard of justice. And so he has to punish sin, and he chooses to find himself or to punish himself for us. You can't get a better moral than that. You sacrifice yourself for somebody else. So the purpose of his life was to be punished in your place. His life was a gift to you. Have you received his gift? If not, why not? Why wouldn't you? It's free. You go, I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. Guess what? You don't have to. Because God will change you once you come to him. I'm sorry, time is up. Dr. Michael Shermer, you have hey, 10 minutes. Thank you for cheering, but, but, but I have a challenge for you Christians. If you are a Christian, does anyone really know it? I mean, if they were to drag you into a courtroom like they do in Pakistan right now and try and convict you of being a Christian, would you be convicted or would you be acquitted? Hey, man, there's not enough evidence here. Let this person go. If that's the case for you, you may want to reconsider how you've been living. The least we can do after what he's done for us is stand up for him. All right, Dr. Michael Sherman, please. Are we in church? Uh, I understand from my Twitter feed that there's the free thinkers of Stony Brook are here. Thank you. got somebody on my side oh boy but hey I follow him to, to his car please Make I it. used to be a uh, I used to be a born-again Christian so I figure if I'm wrong now I'm still in right because according to this religion I can reconvert back at the last moment well except I don't I don't think I would do that for several reasons one is is what I mentioned before is that the uh, the hubris of thinking that of the tens of thousands of religions and thousands of gods that people have believed in over the last 10,000 years, what are the chances that I, as a Christian, got the right one and everybody else is wrong? Historically, uh, humans have found themselves to be uh, egocentrically uh, self-centered, thinking, uh, of course I'm right and all those other people are wrong, and it almost always turns out they were wrong. So to err is to be human, and that's the case. And, uh, and that's, that's the least of it. The problem of evil is a huge one. I'm not just talking about why did God allow the Holocaust or genocides, because you would say, that's human free will. What about childhood cancer? Why should thousands, tens of thousands of infants, child, little children die of leukemia and other uh, horrible diseases, not to mention what it does to the families who love them? Why would a good God allow that? What, what, what is the answer to that? Other than, we're told, well, God works in mysterious ways. Well, it'd be nice if he worked in less mysterious ways and did something about it. 
But he doesn't, so it's up to us. It's always up to us. It's up to you, it's up to me to make the world a better place. Not to turn to some other supernatural force that may or may not come. Not to give up what we have now in hope of some blissful state in some other place. Here and now is what counts. Now is when you should be trying to do something to make the world a better place. Now is the time to make your relationships count with other people, not in some other world where this is a mere prepping stage for the next life. It's this life that counts, regardless of whether there's another life or not. And historically, this is what has driven the moral arc forward, expanding the moral sphere to include more people into our moral considerations. That is what has driven change. You and I, individuals standing up and saying, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We demand the same rights as everybody else. I don't care what your religion is. This is what's right and fair. That's how it matters. That's what makes a difference. Not in some other life, but here and now. Who makes the rules? We make the rules. What did you say? The eternal referent is what we make of it. It's our rules. It's always been up to us. A hundred years ago, you would think very differently about blacks and Jews and women than you do now. What happened? There's no new biblical scriptures that have come down on high through some prophet. No theologian has discovered a new way to interpret the Old or New Testament that said, thou shalt not enslave thy fellow man. It's not in there. Thou shalt not oppress women or blacks. It's not in there. It didn't come from religion. It never comes from religion. It comes from you and I. It comes from oppressed people saying, enough, stop it. I'm going to fight back. And then the people surrounding them start to take on the cause. And then it changes. And then it happens. And then religions get on board and go, you know what? That's a good idea. That's how it happens. It's up to you and I. So let me end with the great Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who I started with, who is the inspiration for my book and my hero. He said, the great burden of life is to always try to keep that higher self in command. And every time that old lower self acts up and tells us to do wrong, let us allow the higher self to tell us that we were made for the stars, created for the everlasting, born for eternity. Well, we are, in fact, made from the stars. Our atoms were forged in the interiors of ancient stars that ended their lives in spectacular paroxysms of supernova explosions that dispersed those atoms into space, where they coalesced into new solar systems with planets, life, and sentient beings capable of such sublime knowledge and moral wisdom. We are stardust. We are golden. We are billion-year-old carbon. Morality is something that carbon atoms can embody, given a billion years of evolution, the moral arc. Thank you. Thank you. Before I invite the founders of New York Apologetics up on stage, let's have a round of applause.